Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Good morning, BA. Welcome to this broadcast. I know you're probably there and some of you are probably literally on your beds looking at this broadcast this morning, but that's all right. God is still here, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for just joining us today, and I just pray that this message will bless you today. I want to talk today about the wisdom, the wisdom that comes through humility. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been yearning to hear wisdom in this hour. I've been yearning to hear what God wants to say in this hour concerning everything that's going on. And I know in my personal life, in in my personal prayers, there's two main themes that I always pray about. Number one, I I always just want to be filled with fire for God. I just want that baptism in fire that regardless of the situation and circumstance, that God can give me something for the hour, something that's significant, that's from him. But my second prayer is always about wisdom. And I always ask the Lord for wisdom and increased wisdom because I want to be able to carry a wisdom that, unlike Solomon, that I I would never turn away from what God is speaking for the hour. So let's go to the book of James, and I want to talk a little bit about what James talks about, what wisdom looks like. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly. It's of a lower place. It's unspiritual and it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, is peaceable, is gentle, is open to reason, is full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by them that make peace. And so thinking about that aspect of wisdom, I go back to Proverbs. I go back to Proverbs 11, verses 1, when it says, The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility, with humility comes wisdom. Humility. It's interesting when you talk about that word, humility. It's not a very popular word. As a matter of fact, I know even probably when I mentioned humility, the first thing that came to some people's mind was weakness. But it couldn't be further from the truth because actually what humility is, is an utter dependence on God. And it's an utter knowing that everything about me on the inside of my heart, I depend on God for everything. And those that depend for God, for wisdom, for guidance, God will grant them heavenly wisdom that will be able to talk to any hour in any situation. So it's interesting that uh, Dan in his, his wonderful clothes earlier, he was talking about wisdom. And it was very interesting for me to see what day one 
for the corporate fast that was called, the, the one that we're doing that's in conjunction with Bethel Redding. And day one was about humility. And I just want to read through there really quickly. The prayer points were this. Let's humble ourselves before God in full surrender. Let's have hearts of humility that sacrifices for others and can look beyond ourselves. And the third one was like the second one, enlargement of our ability to see and value others. And then the scripture was, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And this was the prayer. Lord, you are the ultimate example of humility. Remember I said, humility is a weakness. Lord, you are the ultimate example of humility in that you gave your life on the cross for us. We want to be like you in character. We want to be in you in heart and in nature and to walk in your spirit of humility in all that we do. Help us to go low. Help us to go low as we interact with each other and step into cultural conversations. So then I began to think about this whole humility thing and I began to think about this whole wisdom thing and, and different thoughts are going into my mind. And then I thought about 2 Chronicles 7.14, which we commonly say, but let's read it really quickly. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Notice where we started first. The end of that scripture is to heal the land. See, we're talking about an internal process first that has utter dependence on God, utter, utter reliance on God, and the end result of that bringing healing to the land. My first point is this. There is a wisdom that is desperately needed in this hour and it's gonna come from mature sons of God. Who are the mature sons of God? The mature sons of God are the ones who hold a place in their heart of humility first towards him and then towards one another because that's his way. So I wanna bring us to another point and I wanna actually go in a different direction because humility and wisdom has been our backdrop. I want to talk today about social media. I want to talk today about all the different platforms by which we as believers can release who we are into the world. You know, whether it's 12 people or 2,000 people or 20,000 people, our social media is actually an extension of who we are. And somebody might be out there like, why are you talking about social media? Social media is in the Bible. Well, neither is Chick-fil-A. You were there yesterday getting a frosted lemonade. <laughs> so don't tell me about social media not being in the Bible. But I will tell you this. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And life and death is in the power of the tongue. But I want to bring something else to you in this hour that's very significant. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, but from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the overflow of the heart, the pen writes. From the overflow of the heart, the fingers type. 
from the overflow of the heart, the fingers tight. And many of you, maybe you've seen some of the cultural conversations that we had or online with BA. You've maybe seen some things that maybe I have posted. But I will tell you, my biggest sadness, my biggest disappointment has not been the race relations per se. Yes, I hate them. I hate the images. I hate all of those things. But that has not been my disappointment. My, my biggest disappointment, family, has been the lack of wisdom in this hour from the people of God who claim that life and death is in the power of their tongue. That has been my biggest place of disappointment. And I've said, God, who are those that are going to talk into the hour? Who are going to be the ones that even though like you in Genesis, when you saw that the earth was without form and void and you saw that chaos was upon the face of the deep, who are going to be the ones that are going to speak light and allow something to happen? And this is when the creative process started, when you spoke light. And if we're made in your image, we can do the same thing. Who are the ones that are utilizing their platform or their place for a place of ministry? Because after all, doesn't the word say that it is his will that we disciple nations, that, that all men should come to him and have the knowledge of the truth? That's his will. But instead, what we see is, is something more sinister that I want to talk about today. I do have a solution, but we got to bring it up. Let's just go there. You know, there were two prevailing themes that Jesus dealt with in his ministry. And that was the religious spirit. And that was the political spirit. And so much so that in Mark 8 and 15, he says, beware of the yeast and the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the yeast and the leaven of Herod. He was talking about the Pharisees and their religiosity, if that's a word. He was talking about Herod and his political, if, if that's a word. But what he was saying was this. I know that in the hearts of men, when this enters into your heart, that is able to reproduce and reproduce and become into a different state than what the heart was before it received this leaven. And when I began thinking about that, I'm like, man, this is all I'm seeing on social media. I'm seeing the people of God who I know know about revival. I know that they know how to speak life. I know they're good people, but I'm just seeing the religious and the political everywhere. And so I pondered this and I pondered the message and, and I went to sleep four nights ago. And all of a sudden, the Lord took me to the book of Job. And I will say this, I, I, I chronologically do not have enough time to go through the whole book of Job. And I'm going to bring some points, but I, I urge you, go back and read the book of Job after I express what I'm going to express. I begin to look at Job and I begin to read it from the whole thing. And I begin to see something in Job that I had never seen before prior. I begin to see the interaction of the three friends of Job. Because every time we talk about the book of Job, you hear about the three friends. But they don't have names. You just know them as the three friends. And I know that in this hour, it's so easy to slap labels on people. 
you know, you're the red guy, you're the blue guy, you're the Democrat, you're the Republican guy, you're the right guy, you're the left guy. But how can you accurately pray for someone? How can you accurately minister to someone? How can you accurately have a relationship with someone who you slapped the label on? So as I began to look at this, I said, you know what, God, I don't want Job's three friends to have a label. I'm going to research. I'm going to find out who they are. So let's talk about Job's three friends today in context of what we're talking about. So we have friend number one. His name was Eliphaz. He was from a place called Teman, which is now modern day Yemen. And he was actually a grandson of Abraham. And the place that where he was from, it was the height of the Greco-Roman Empire. And so he was a very proud man. He had influence. He had ideals. After all, he was Abraham's son, grandson. And he had all these things about him. And, and he had a big voice. And, and, and he knew that people wanted to listen to him. But one of his goals was to have the thinking of the Edomites, which is another story all in itself. But he wanted to proselytize people into his way of thinking. What he represented when he talked to Job was the political spirit with religious overtones. Because after all, in all of their arguments, they talked about God. But with his, with his argument and the political spirit, what he needed was agreement. He needed people to agree with him. He needed people to party with him. You can always detect the political spirit because they want to draw people in and they want to have the influence and let them not have the final say. Once they don't have the final say, they're going to keep on grinding you and grinding you until you get it. He represented the political spirit with religious overtones. And then we have our friend Zophar. Zophar was an interesting character because even though Eliphaz spoke first and he spoke the most, Zophar was the one who spoke the second most. But his argument with Job was not his own argument. He was actually following behind Eliphaz's argument, and he was largely an echo. So much so that even Job snapped out of whatever was going with, with him, and he said, man, do you have your own argument? What kind of spirit did you express this through? What Zophar represented was the follower. He represented the one that had no root within themselves. And because they have no, he's not rooted and grounded in love and in wisdom and not humility of heart. He followed up Eliphaz's argument. And then we have our final brother. And his name is Bildad. And Bildad's argument was, Job, because you did something, this is why God is punishing you. And since God punished you, this, you're going to stay like this until you get it right. He absolutely represented the religious spirit. He was the most dogmatic, the, the, the one who had the most vitriol in his conversations against Job. But while this is going on, there's another young man who's waiting in the wings. And I had wondered why they did, never talked about him. They just talked about the three friends, the one who placed the label on and Job, but he was a younger man. And they say that he was maybe even the author of Job. And he waited. He humbled himself while the religious spirit was going forth, while the political spirit with the religious overtones are going forth, while the follower was talking. 
And he began to just say, I'm going to humble myself, but there's going to be a time when wisdom is going to speak. And if you go back and look at his argument, he sounded like God. He sounded like somebody who had their root in God. And when he began to speak, him speaking from out of the life flow that goes in him, that's when God came up behind him and began to speak to Job. After this man of wisdom, he didn't pay attention to the bigger voices. He didn't pay attention to the one that had the most influence. He didn't say, wow, Eliphaz, you're a celebrity. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. He said, God, I'm going to listen to what you're saying. And that when I speak, something is going to happen. And God began to speak to Job. And God began to converse with Job. And because of it, this was his opportunity to repent. And what did Job ended up doing? Job did offerings for his three friends so that they could get restored back into right relationship with God. Elihu didn't have to do an offering. Why? Because Elihu had already offered something else before the time. Elihu had already offered his heart. And he said, I'm not going to pay attention to the noise of the day. I'm not going to be a follower. I'm not going to be the one who steeps into dishonor and, and be a person who just wants to aggravate. And, and I'm not going to post ridiculousness on my social media because it's not giving God glory. It's not giving him honor. If Lord Jesus was sitting beside me while I was posting, what would he say? What would he say about my, my active confirmation bias? Because I'm possessing the religious spirit and the political spirit and following. And, and the things that I feel in my heart, I'm getting all kind of confirmations. So this is what I'm doing. I'm sharing every chance I get. This confirms my bias. This confirms my bias. But it doesn't sound like the kingdom. It doesn't sound like the wisdom that comes from above. It doesn't sound like the place where, what did James say? He says, the wisdom that comes from above is pure. It's peaceable. Peace looks like something. It says it's gentle. It said it is open to reason. You know, it, now in this climate, it seems that everybody's right. And Justin was talking about the bad guy. The only way a bad guy can be established is if I'm the measuring stick and what I feel is right. But heaven is saying, I, I have something that I want to pour out in this hour. And the eyes of me, the eyes of the Lord, are running to and fro along the earth, looking to see who he may show himself strong through. And I'm asking you as my brothers and my sisters this morning, will that be you who God shows himself strong through? Will you be that minister of reconciliation in this hour? Will you be that one who says, I'm not going to sit in the seat of scoffers. I'm not gonna take the counsel of the ungodly, but rather I'm going to speak life. I'm going to be just like God. God, if you spoke light into chaos and confusion, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak light into chaos and confusion. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to take time to remove the labels off people. I'm not going to be using the left term anymore. I'm not going to be using the right term anymore. I'm not going to say that I'm God's party. If I'm expressing dishonor, you're not, you're not showing anything that looks like this place of wisdom. 
We are looking for this place in the earth, guys. And there are men and women right now that are in obscurity, that are like Elihu. And they said, I'm not going to allow myself to eat the king's meat, so to speak. And I'm going to be one who humbles myself in the place of prayer. And I'm not going to walk in dishonor. And I'm going to keep myself in the love of God. And I'm going to make sure that I keep an opportunity for us to be able to relate to one another. And if they don't want to receive what you have, so be it. But I want to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to tell you a story that happened to me very recently. Many of you know that um, I ran for public office in our town here. And I had an objective when I ran. I knew I had support from a party. I knew it. But I said, God, when I run, I said, I want you to be glorified. I said, every person who I talk to, I'm going to make sure that they know who you are. Because I remember what you said in Matthew 5 and 15 when you said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works that stem from here. And they'll glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So I said, God, I want to run a kingdom campaign, even though it was a, a nonpartisan thing. I still had support from a party. And I would hear the banter. I would hear, don't trust such and such. Don't listen to such and such. Hey, that the mayor's this, this council member's this. I flatly denied. I flatly denied everything that they said to me because I said, I want to look these people in the eye and I want to deal with them in a spirit level, in a soul level. And what happened was my very first day when I found out I was running, I went and had breakfast with the mayor. And I sat in there and I just knew that it was just going to be an hour. We sat in there for three hours. We talked, we prayed, but he was supposed to be my enemy. After that exchange that we had, I met the other council members. We connected two. They're from a different party. So two months comes after the election, and I get a text from one of my brothers. And he says, man, I was having breakfast with the mayor today and the other council members. And they said, glowing reviews about you, my friend, but I'm from another party. They said, should you run again, that you're going to win by a landslide. But hold up, weren't they from another party? Weren't they supposed to be my bitter enemies? I can't go that route, guys. I'm a kingdom person. Kingdom runs through my veins. Whether I'm playing basketball, whether I'm blocking Dan Weber's shot, <laughs> I'm a kingdom person. I'm a kingdom person, and, and when I'm social, on social media, I, there's been many times when I've said, God, people know who I am. When I write this, will this bring discredit to the kingdom? That's happened plenty of times and occasions, and I just take it down. And I'm not saying that every post that I've ever done is perfect, but I know that my heart's desire is and whether it's in business, whether it's in interactive with my wife, whether it's with my brothers and sisters, whether it's somebody who's an enemy, 
that I can look from a place of wisdom because my heart says, God, you have all sufficiency. And, and when I link in with you, I have all sufficiency and that I can cause change in the world from my witness. So right now, I just want to talk to a few people. I want to talk to a few people. You might have said, man, Mike, that was mighty hard. You know, you got to understand the stats and the figures and all that other kind of stuff. Let's put the kingdom in its proper order. Stats and figures are good. But doesn't revival mean something to you? Doesn't the kingdoms of this world can become the kingdoms of our God mean something to you? And so I understand that somebody might have been tweaked from this message today say, Michael, you don't understand the historical significance. But I'm going to tell you this. God has a plan, and it doesn't involve wisdom that's from below. He's looking for that, those people that will have those hearts of humility, that will carry his presence everywhere they go, and they will have a word for the hour. And you think, wow, how can I have a word when all this stuff is going on? I mean, wow. Well, Noah had never built an ark before, but God gave him wisdom on what to do so that him and his family can be saved. So in closing, I want to talk to a few people. If you know you've wrestled with the religious spirit, the political spirit, if you know you've just been following, I just tell you, my brother and my sister, yesterday is gone. Even earlier today, if you had some stuff that was going on, Let's start a new day today. Let's put the kingdom in its rightful place. Let's make disciples of all nations from our heart first. Let's make disciples of all nations, guys. And look, you don't have to go back and take down everything. You can say, wow, now I see. Now I see that the kingdom is first because if you notice in all the things that are going on, it's not a surprise to God. Jesus expressed all this stuff in his earthly ministry, and he talked about wars and pestilence and all this stuff. It's in there. It's in the Bible. But I want to reach out right now to that one who maybe some conviction came this morning, and you said, Mike, you're right. I want to do something different today. Right now, I just bless you. And God, I just thank you for my brother and sister right there who's really been championing this thing. God, I thank you right now just for a renewed focus and vision and focus back on your kingdom and love you and people more than anything. Let the labels be removed. Let them be people of wisdom in this hour. And you may be one who you were looking at this thing and the religious or the political doesn't even mean anything to you. You just know that you've been feeling far away from God. Well, I just say to you, if you want to rededicate right now, just say, God, I just I give you my life again. And I place it all in your hands. I, I humble my heart towards you. And I love 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 where it says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, he makes all things new. So even as you just say, God, just fill me once again, I just declare you new right now in Jesus' name. And somebody might be looking and say, You know what? I didn't even want none of that. I just want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just, I just say get them right now in Jesus' name. Whether you're in a bedroom, living room, or whether you're driving, riding, Father, I just thank you for your presence. Just touching them right now, Lord Jesus. Just fill them up. Fill them afresh. 
fill them afresh right now. And last but not least, whether it's cancer, COVID, or a cold, and you need healing right now, if you've got pain in your body, Father, I just agree right now with heaven that you said that healing is theirs. Jesus, this is what you took the stripes and the beatings for. This is why you sent down your spirit so that we could be healed. So right now, I just speak healing right now in Jesus' name to hearts, minds, bodies right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, thank you. So as I close, I know many people will probably have questions. I'm not hiding behind anything. I would love to conversate with you. I would love to talk with you. But more than anything, just make sure your heart is just positioned with God the right way first. I'm nothing but a vessel. In Jesus' name, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.